Blog Talk Radio. Strange Gravities, the complete series, coming up next right here on The Right Stuff. Welcome to The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen, Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, we are going to be talking to my returning guest co-host and contributor today, Stephen Armstrong. It has been some time since I connected with Stephen, but I was so glad he took time out of his schedule to be here with me today. We are going to be showcasing his entire series called Strange Gravities. I can't wait to tell you about it in just a few moments. As always, we want to thank our Patreon team for their support. We have been showcasing Christian authors worldwide for 10 years. As God gives us grace, we'll continue to do so. To find out how you can help out, simply go to patreon.com slash write stuff and see what you can do. And as always, we covet your prayers. To stay up to date with PJC Media, simply go to pjcmedia.net, click on that pink follow button. You'll never miss a show. Also, go ahead, subscribe to our new YouTube channel for updates, uploads, and more. Go ahead, subscribe today. Let's go ahead and bring Stephen on board. Stephen, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? I am fine. Again, like I said at the beginning of our broadcast here, thank you so much for being with me today. It's been a minute, but I'm just so glad you did not block the email, <laughs> block the number. Never, or- never. Like that. I'm just so glad you said, okay, it's P again. And so we're here to showcase your entire series called Strange Gravities. But for those of you who have been following me for some time, you may recognize the first title of the series, and it simply is called Everyone Was Left Behind. It's sort of a murder mystery, and I can't wait to dig into it, but I have to reacquaint you with Stephen again. So let's go ahead, get started with that. Stephen, The last time we talked was a while ago. What have you been doing since then? Well, a lot's changed. I have three dogs now. I am not a a pastor anymore, at least formally. Um, Taking some time off from that. Um, But yeah, like a lot, I guess a lot's changed, but I think it's been like 10 years or so. I don't even know the last time we talked, so. It's roughly been about six six years. Been roughly okay. about six years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my daughter is a junior in high school now, which is crazy to think about. Oh wow! Yeah, so she's gonna. Yeah, you know, we're thinking about colleges and things like that for her. So, yeah, like life keeps going. It's amazing when you think about it. Time stands still for no one, and my mom always says, "Whatever you're going to do, do it now." Because if you blink, that time is already gone. When you wrote this book, this is pretty funny, dear listener. He wrote this book, and part of the book, in the very beginning of the book, Everyone Was Left Behind, this pastor predicted that Jesus would come on April 23rd. Well, yeah, April 23rd, right? Yeah, it was April 23rd. I I can't remember the date specifically off my head, but yeah. I think it was April 23rd. Or 24th. Or 24th, one of those dates, whatever date it was. I happen to be going through my list of authors that I haven't talked to in quite some time. And I said, I haven't talked to Stephen forever. So I literally touched base with him on the day <laughs> in his book of April 23rd or 24th. I said, well, Jesus hasn't come yet. And it was around 11 o'clock. <laughs> well, 
it was around 11 o'clock when I reached out to you. And I said, well, that means you have to be on my show. And so he's here. <laughs> so I thought that was really funny. And I want to really showcase Steven and his series, Strange Gravity, as a whole, without giving away too many spoilers. What is this series about? It's, it starts with this pastor's prediction about Jesus coming back, which leads to his, his eventual murder and a whole lot of other things happening in the small town in New York. And as the detectives working on the case, you know, figure out what's going on, they realize it goes much further than just this rapture, rapture prediction in church drama, that there are further reaching consequences going on. And there's some supernatural elements along the way. And the book kind of, the book series kind of goes from a murder mystery into more understanding how maybe people with powers or special abilities function in the world. So it kind of goes more along those lines. It's not really a comic book type story in terms of having superheroes, but it does have people who have those kinds of abilities. Um, so it kind of starts in a more grounded reality and then kind of becomes more chaotic as the series progresses until people can do really amazing things. What I like about this book, too, particularly the first one, Everyone Was Left Behind, is the fact that the main character is not a Christian. As a matter of fact, he's an atheist slash agnostic at best. What was your reasoning behind us following this character for the first book? You know, I just thought he'd be a good window to kind of, or a good lens to view the, the what was happening in the church through. And I've always been fascinated by the interplay between believers and non-believers. That doesn't just mean Christians necessarily and non-Christians, but because that's not the world that I'm in, that's probably more what I write about. But I just think it creates a lot of honest trauma. And I often feel like with Christian media that it really paints non-believers in a light that's not so good, like not so genuine. And I really wanted to create characters who were real to themselves. And so everybody could sort of see themselves that, you know, people who were not believers would see, okay, yeah, there's this guy who I can relate to and Christians would see, well, there are also these genuine people of faith. They're not just getting skewered and being made fun of. So it kind of creates this natural space where, I don't know, people can sort of see the world through each other's eyes. I think that's always been something I've tried to work into my writing. And what you just said about seeing the world through other people's eyes and how they view things, what are we missing out on in conversation? I also like how you said it's a matter of belief in the supernatural, in the non-material, in powers, in paranormal, that's important as well as and contrast it with people who don't believe that. And those make for very interesting dialogues, complex situations, and more things there. You're not the first author I have had on to have that type of character, but it is one character that doesn't happen very often in Christian fiction. It just doesn't because we want to have, I think, noble examples for us to model ourselves after. But there are people who don't have belief who have, serious questions about it. They have concerns about cult-like behavior that can be exhibited in some of these belief systems. Yep. They have concerns about corruption, scandal, conduct. These are all very valid. And if you're going to have these discussions, you have to be open to everything about these discussions. And sometimes you just want to focus on the one thing where we can't always do that. So that's yep. one thing I liked about everyone was left behind. What were you going to say to that? No, I think that's one of my intentions. I just, 
I like creating characters who have some depth to them who are surprising. And, you know, I, I do think that Christian in Christian media, you do have, if you do have people who are more like atheistic in their mindset or more just non-religious, they're there to get converted. <laughs> so they're more like props. And, you know, I think it just creates sort of a unrealistic picture of how the world works. People are usually slow to convert and change their beliefs. And usually it takes a lot of things happening in their lives to even get them to that point where they will reconsider things. But yeah, I just wanted to create where just characters were themselves and they didn't necessarily have to become something else for them to be accepted in the world they were inhabiting. Now, this dynamic plays out in the book, Everyone Was Left Behind, where our lead investigator, who is the atheist, has these conversations with his subordinate and they talk back and forth. And the subordinate, he doesn't do a lot to try to convince him, but he does probe him at different times. That character is learning about this world, too, because even though he has his belief system, he is coming across things that are jarring his belief system, that there may not be supernatural until you see the supernatural. <laughs> and dear listener, we have an upcoming show where we're talking about uh, the supernatural in real life, things like near-death experiences. That's coming up within the archives, uh, dear listener. So just hang on to your hats for that one. That was a really fascinating show to talk about. And I like that you don't shy away from it. And I think that's why this, this whole series is called Strange Gravities. And it's a play on words, really. And I think I know what those play on words are, but go ahead and express it to our listeners. Yeah, so it's more just this idea of the there are these powers or forces at work in the world that we don't understand and seem very odd when we encounter them. So that's really what it's about. I, you know, I think I wrote it before Stranger Things, uh, but you know, like that became a phenomenon. Like I, oh yeah, I love Stranger series. Things. I do. I, I like. I mean, the latter, the latter two seasons I don't haven't cared for as much, but yeah, I definitely like the first few seasons. And you know, I've had some some of my beta readers have said that you know some of the books in the Strange Gravity series do sort of remind them of that world. But that's kind of where it came from. You know, just the idea that you have these forces at work that almost seem inevitable and very hard to overcome. Now, in the second book of the Strange Gravity series, we have Unseen Forces. And Unseen Forces follows the subordinate from book one. Tell us what's going on in that story. So he's reeling from some of the events in the first book. I don't want to give any spoilers, but um, so he's trying to just understand what's going on. And, and the reporter, who's also in the first book, believes that she's come across some people who have exhibited some strange powers like telekinesis. And she's, she's trying to draw that out because her, her uncle works for this pharmaceutical company that's very interested in researching these types of people. And she's kind of done some work for them. So she believes that these people are out there. She kind of teams up with this uh, detective to sort of figure out, you know, what's really going on and if people like that are out there and what they can really do. And it's not really a murder mystery. So I suppose that from a marketing standpoint, I might have hurt myself a little bit there because the first book is like a murder mystery. The second book is not at all. It involves a lot more like domestic violence as the, sort of the police part of what, what brings the detective in. But that's kind of the window that they start investigating some people who can do some really amazing things. It has a suspense element throughout the story, too, as you're trying to figure out what's going on. And the reporter, as I remember also acts as a character that puts a spotlight 
on different issues that challenge the subordinate's faith throughout this story as well. And the subordinate also has a relationship in this story. It wasn't overtly discussed in this, this particular book of it, but it was there. And as he contrasts what he's seeing with his own relationship, you have him just coming to some conclusions about life and about people. So those are the first two books that I read in Strange Gravities. But I'm so excited to tell you about the other two books in this series. You can get all four books as a complete set on Amazon. Go ahead, pick it up today. The third book in this series is called Death Prophets. And again, love the alliteration <laughs> of this. Not alliteration, but I love the play on words in Death Prophets. Go ahead and tell us about this one. So Death Prophets, like every, you know, this universe keeps expanding. And John, who's the detective, who's in the first two books, has a brother named Matt, and who's a private investigator. And it kind of continues the events that are happening in book two with people who have telekinesis and this pharmaceutical company that's sort of trying to research them. But, it, you know, Matt meets this woman who has visions of people dying, and they seem to be coming true. And she's very unnerved by that and seeks out this private investigator's help to try to solve or try to prevent these deaths from happening. And so everything starts tying together about where this, you know, who these deaths are, who's causing these deaths and why they're causing them and how that fits in with the pharmaceutical company and all the things that have been happening in this town for the first two books. So, yeah, was, uh, actually, you know, these three books really started out as three distinct ideas. I was just going to write three different books that had kind of no relationship. And then as I was thinking about it, I was like, well, it's cool if the, the reporter in book two was also the reporter in book one, and then she shows up in book three. And as I started, tie, as I started tying things together to create, I guess, sort of a, a book universe, I thought, well, what if there's like a through line of plots and all these things are connected? And so then I started developing the stories that way. And so it became a cohesive series instead of like three standalone books. I think the series elements also gives the reader an opportunity to learn about your world as it grows and as it morphs into this thing that you uniquely created. So by the fourth book we have is called New Ordinary. And what is the premise of that book? The premise is that there's been someone who basically has been behind the scenes, not always so behind the scenes, but they're causing all of these like terrible things happening in this town. Um, basically like domestic terrorism um, causes a major explosion. And now like they just have to set their sights on him to try to stop him from doing, wreaking any more havoc. But they're also trying to stop this research company, this pharmaceutical research company from, you know, harvesting these abilities that people have and using them for their own gain and for, you know, nefarious purposes. And so it's like basically the resolution of the, the three books that have come before. I mean, all three books, they end, they have endings, like the, the, the principal conflict in each book ends, but there's always some un, you know, loose strings, and that's what book four strives to do, is to resolve all those. And there's like a big bad, I guess you could say, like a man who has telekinesis, who's really, really powerful, and he's been the one who's been doing all these things, so they need to stop him now, which isn't easy. I think people are drawn to the idea of having these powers, but I will always be of the opinion that if we do have these powers, they are God-given and they're supposed to be used in a certain way to actually uplift the kingdom. 
or to do that's me that's just how I feel about it I don't think I have a superpower but if I were to give myself a superpower it would probably be chatter because I like to talk I think I can out talk anyone I will probably have a costume with a cell phone attached to it my utility belt will be like a cell phone a speaker <laughs> anything to do with communication I think that would be my forte but I also think, too, when it comes to spiritual gifts, I do think I have the spiritual gift of empathy. And what I mean by that is that sometimes I can look at a person, not all the time, but I can look at a person and know that they're not having a good day. And I'm not talking about just like because they look like they're not having a good day. I can walk by them and sense things like that. Um, and I'm fine with that. That's all I want. <laughs> yeah. That's a very useful gift. And it's also one not likely to be abused, I guess, unless you're unless somebody with empathy was going to exploit people, but then that wouldn't, they wouldn't have empathy anymore. Um, yeah. One of the things I wanted to explore in here is like, you know, could we be trusted with powers? Like if somebody has like the power of telekinesis, they can move objects with their mind. And all of a sudden, like there are these restrictions holding them back from what they can and can't do. Will that fundamentally change them as human beings? Will they be able to only exercise that for good uses? Because, you know, you just think about all the impulses, that we have during a given day of all the ways that we think about people around us. Like the, and I'm saying like the sort of negative thoughts, like what if we could just do the things that, you know, we sometimes think about doing and we have the, this power to actually pull these things off, you know, would, would we be able to control that power? So a lot of the book is a lot about that. It's also about the idea of control and being not controlling so many of the things that happen to our lives. And, you know, that's what the detective in the book, in the second book, particularly struggling with, but really the whole series, you know, can we keep these, can we prevent these terrible things from happening? And what if we can't, what does that mean about us as humans and our experience in this world? So those are some of the larger ideas I was playing with. I think about once when my sister was driving and the guy cut us off and slipped us the bird <laughs> and the first thing I thought was, I wish I could break his finger. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as he did that, had I had the ability to yeah. twist his finger, I probably would have done it and would have relished the look of pain on his face. <laughs> yeah. But I'm glad I don't have that ability. Thank yeah, you. no, I mean, I think, yeah, I think I'm, you know, I can definitely imagine some scenarios like that too. Uh, you know, where when someone offends us or they, they wrong us and we feel like, you know, somebody has committed this injustice against us. You know, there is part of us, no matter how Christian you are or how moral you are, you want to get even. You want revenge. Yeah. Or you want to send the rain or send lightning to like crash into the house. Right. Yeah. And what? that's just the impulse. It's an impulse for sure. But what do we always work in those impulses? One thing about one of the gifts of spirit is self-control and learning how to um, control our impulses. That's why a lot of people say, just do what you want. That is an incorrect view because you just can't do what you want because you have to learn self-control because your actions do affect other people. No man is an island, as they say. And your actions affect other people, whether they're indirect or direct affect them, they do affect other people. Let's say I had broke the guy's finger. I just looked at him, <laughs> broke his finger. Now he's having a bad day, right? Yeah. He, maybe he had to go and, I don't know, save somebody from falling off a tree. I don't know, but I've ruined his day. So, <laughs> so. But I've had had that thought when that happened because he was totally in the wrong. Yeah. And he flipped us the bird. Like, where's the issue? 
And literally at that moment, I wanted to break his finger. I said, I wish I had the ability to break his finger. But then, you know, if we don't have superpowers, look at how much, how many stories we see of road rage gone crazy. I remember recently, or maybe last year even, where these two gentlemen got caught in road rage. Their children are in the car and each shot at each other, hitting each other's kid. Oh, boy. And I believe both children survived. But now you've taken this one incident that has completely altered your life. And so when the Lord says self-control is one of the gifts of the spirit, that is why. I've been mad at many people (laughs) when I go down the street, especially here in Detroit. People drive crazy. (laughs) So you've got to. The New York metro area aren't all about that. Oh, good. See, you understand. Crazy people drive, and you have to live with them. <laughs> so, and sometimes you're the crazy driver. That's sometimes. The too. So I love, too, how you mentioned about control. Do you think, and this is, I would love to get your thoughts on this, do you think control or how we control our lives is an illusion? In a lot of respects, it is. I mean, there's so many things that we don't control. Like, I didn't control who my parents are and the situation I was born in. You know, and that my parents were both teachers and good people and raised me well. I didn't control any of that. I didn't deserve it or earn it, so to speak. Um, in a unique way, we could say all humans deserve it. And so there's, there's just so many things I, you know, I didn't control. I didn't control where I grew up, where I lived. I mean, sure, I made decisions along the way, like where I went to college. So there are certainly decisions that we make. So it's it's not a complete illusion. But yeah, there's so many things that are outside of our control. We, you know, our range of control is so limited. I agree with that. I think sometimes we are caught up in our own narrative, if you will, that we control our lives. And you'd be surprised how you can walk out the door, trip over an insect and crash, <laughs> crash it yeah. and didn't see that coming at all. So I just think sometimes control is an illusion, but that's my personal opinion. Well, I feel like control is like when if there's a danger to think you control too much. Yeah. You know, because it definitely creates a lot of, it creates a lot, I think, a lot more anger towards the world or towards people when, when your, when your illusion of control is broken or shattered, even anger towards God. That's really, you know, an aspect of this too. It's one of the things that comes up in the book, in the second book of the series. You know, people struggling with God's place in the world if there is this lack of control. Because then you look, okay, who do you look, who you look to after that? Well, you look at the one you think is supposed to be in control. So I guess that would be God. Now, there's some exciting news regarding Strange Gravity, because it hasn't been a while since you've completed the whole series. And what is that news to share for our listeners? Yeah, so this last year I wrote uh, a, a new trilogy in the series that takes most of the same characters and continues some of you know, the untied plot threads from the first four books. And you know, I just didn't feel like I was done with the characters, I felt like there was more meat on that bone, so to speak, and that you know I could write a new series for that without, with complete creative integrity, like that I was telling something new, but that was very much in line with what the first three books were after. So the kind of the premise is that this pharmaceutical company that's, that's behind a lot of the, the bad things that have happened and how people are getting these powers has done way more work than anyone really knew. And there, there's this list of people who have abilities. And, you know, so our heroes from the first few books, the detective and the reporter and the private eye, um, are trying now to, to find that because they're afraid that if it falls into the hands of these 
of this sort of like terrorist group that seems to be looking for it, that they're going to use it for really bad purposes. And they're afraid that if the government gets it, they're going to use it to do all these different experiments and create whatever. And so they don't really trust either side and they're concerned for the people who are on the list who have these potential abilities and keeping them safe. So it becomes like, we got to try to kind of like Pokemon. We got to catch them all. Got to try to track these people down and find them to keep them safe without getting killed in the process. <laughs> so that would be a nice maneuver to make sure you catch them all without, you know, offing yourself in the process yeah. there. My question is this, when do you expect to release this? So I'm, it's pretty very much ready to go now. I've put the finishing touches on editing the first two books. The third book's all written, and I've done a bunch of editing passes. I'm waiting for the cover on it. So I anticipate releasing the the new trilogy probably in a week or two, like to start with the first book and maybe a couple of weeks after that do the second book. So I won't, like, it's not going to be a slow drip release. It's going to be pretty much in succession by, like, a few weeks or maybe a month at most. Yeah, rapid release. Yeah, that's the, one of the uh, things a lot of the indie authors are doing is rapid release, yeah. where they're releasing at least a book a month. Some do more than that, depending on yeah. their writing schedule. I know a lady who writes about six books a year for her series. I know another lady who writes, who used to, she doesn't do it anymore, but she used to write a book a week and release them a week. Because book a week I can't do. I could do the six a year, um, yeah. but I don't think I could do a book a week. Well, she had a, she had a, she had a process. I'm sure she had a team of people, like you know, people who edit for her and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, she would have someone edit stuff like that. She doesn't do it anymore, but um, it depends on what you want to do. I used to do that. I stopped doing that because I don't want the pressure, yeah, of releasing like that, and I want to make sure my ideas are still unique and still entertaining and engaging. Because sometimes when you do rapid release, particularly in a genre like romance, where it's very I want to say quick to recycle the yeah. storylines. And I did a formula to it. There's a formula to it. And there's nothing wrong with the formula because you can grow from that formula. But I didn't want to start recycling. <laughs> I and a lot of people like the formula. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's why they read them. We want yeah. our best friends to more. We want our enemies to more. We want our forbidden love stories. We want that element. We just want to see it in different forms. So, yeah. Now, Steve, once again, thank you for being with me on the show. In the few moments we have left, go ahead and encourage our aspiring authors out there whom God has given the gift to write to pick up the pen and do so. Yeah, I mean, I think because I've been writing a lot in the last couple of years and I haven't published a lot of it. I probably have I've written about 25 books and some are just sitting there. But there's there's an element of publishing that can just be for you. And that's not the best advice for marketing and all that stuff. I know that. But just start telling the stories you want to tell. And I think it, I think it, there's a life-giving element to that where it really helps you understand your life, your world, even if you're not writing a memoir or something that's very autobiographical in nature. You know, it can be something that helps you through the emotions you're dealing with and the situations that you're struggling with in your life. So really, yeah, I think it's this... You know, we can be consumers or creators in this world. Ideally, we're a little bit of each, right? That we're, we're, we're consuming and intaking what other people are writing and creating, but we're also creating too. And so, yeah, I just think that we're at our most human when we create. And that helps us figure out who we are and who maybe we want to be. 
Stephen, thank you again for sharing that wonderful insight into this thing called writing. Really glad that you came back on the show. I cannot wait to have you back and have you back real soon. Okay. Look forward to it. And we were talking today to Stephen Armstrong. He is the author of the series Strange Gravities. All four are available on Amazon.com as a complete book set. So go ahead and pick up your copy today. And then stay up to date because he has another trilogy of this world coming out very soon. So make sure you stay up to date with that as well. What I'm really excited about is that Stephen said that he has 25 more books that he's written. He may not publish them all, but they're getting done. And that's the question. What are you doing with the gift that God gave you? Go ahead, pick up the pen, and write stuff. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen Parker J, and you have a wonderful, absolutely glorious, blessed day.